Chapter Twenty Six of Northanger Abbey. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Elizabeth Clett, Houston, Texas, March two thousand eight. Northanger Abbey by Jane Austen. Chapter Twenty Six. From this time, the subject was frequently canvassed by the three young people and Catherine found, with some surprise, that her two young friends were perfectly agreed in considering Isabella's want of consequence and fortune as likely to throw great difficulties in the way of her marrying their brother. Their persuasion that the general would, upon this ground alone, independent of the objection that might be raised against her character, oppose the connection, turned her feelings moreover with some alarm towards herself. She was as insignificant, and perhaps as portionless, as Isabella, and if the heir of the Tilney property had not grandeur and wealth enough in himself, at what point of interest were the demands of his younger brother to rest? The very painful reflections to which this thought led could be only dispersed by a dependence on the effect of that particular partiality, which, as she was given to understand by his words as well as his actions, she had from the first been so fortunate as to excite in the general and by a recollection of some most generous and disinterested sentiments on the subject of money, which she had more than once heard him utter, and which tempted her to think his disposition in such matters misunderstood by his children. They were so fully convinced, however, that their brother would not have the courage to apply in person for his father's consent, and so repeatedly assured her that he had never in his life been less likely to come to Northanger than at the present time, that she suffered her mind to be at ease as to the necessity of any sudden removal of her own. But as it was not to be supposed that Captain Tilney, whenever he made his application, would give his father any just idea of Isabella's conduct, it occurred to her as highly expedient that Henry should lay the whole business before him as it really was, enabling the general by that means to form a cool and impartial opinion, and prepare his objections on a fairer ground than inequality of stations. She proposed it to him accordingly, but he did not catch at the measure so eagerly as she had expected. "'No,' said he. My father's hands need not be strengthened, and Frederick's confession of folly need not be forestalled. He must tell his own story." "'But he will only tell half of it.' "'A quarter would be enough.' A day or two passed away, and brought no tidings of Captain Tilney. His brother and sister knew not what to think. Sometimes it appeared to them as if his silence would be the natural result of the suspected engagement, and at others that it was wholly incompatible with it. The general, meanwhile, though offended every morning by Frederick's remissness in writing, was free from any real anxiety about him, and had no more pressing solicitude than that of making Miss Morland's time at Northanger pass pleasantly. He often expressed his uneasiness on this head, feared the sameness of every day's society and employments would disgust her with the place, wished the Lady Frasers had been in the country, talked every now and then of having a large party to dinner, and once or twice began even to calculate the number of young dancing people in the neighbourhood. But then it was such a dead time of year—no wild fowl, no game, and the Lady Frasers were not in the country. And it all ended at last in his telling Henry one morning that when he next went to Woodston they would take him by surprise there some day or other, and eat their mutton with him. Henry was greatly honoured and very happy, and Catherine was quite delighted with the scheme. "'And when do you think, sir, I may look forward to this pleasure? I must be at Woodston on Monday to attend the parish meeting, and shall probably be obliged to stay two or three days.' "'Well, well, we will take our chance some one of these days. There is no need to fix. You are not to put yourself at all out of your way. Whatever you may happen to have in the house will be enough. I think I can answer for the young ladies making allowance for a bachelor's table. Let me see. Monday will be a busy day with you. You will not come on Monday. And Tuesday will be a busy one with me. 
I expect my surveyor from Brockham with his report in the morning, and afterwards I cannot in decency fail attending the club. I really could not face my acquaintance if I stayed away now, for as I am known to be in the country, it would be taken exceedingly amiss. And it is a rule with me, Miss Morland, never to give offence to any of my neighbours, if a small sacrifice of time and attention can prevent it. They are a set of very worthy men. They have half a buck from Northanger twice a year, and I dine with them whenever I can. Tuesday, therefore, we may say, is out of the question. But on Wednesday, I think, Henry, you may expect us. And we shall be with you early, that we may have time to look about us. Two hours and three-quarters will carry us to Woodston, I suppose. We shall be in the carriage by ten. So about a quarter before one on Wednesday you may look for us." A ball itself could not have been more welcome to Catherine than this little excursion. So strong was her desire to be acquainted with Woodston, and her heart was still bounding with joy when Henry, about an hour afterwards, came booted and great-coated into the room where she and Elinor were sitting, and said, "'I am come, young ladies, in a very moralizing strain, to observe that our pleasures in this world are always to be paid for, and that we often purchase them at a great disadvantage, giving ready-moneyed actual happiness for a draught on the future, that may not be honoured. Witness myself at the present hour, because I am to hope for the satisfaction of seeing you at Woodston on Wednesday, which bad weather or twenty other causes may prevent, I must go away directly, two days before I intended it." "'Go away,' said Catherine, with a very long face. "'And why?' "'Why? How can you ask the question? Because no time is to be lost in frightening my old housekeeper out of her wits, because I must go and prepare a dinner for you, to be sure.' "'Oh, not seriously. Ay, and sadly, too, for I'd much rather stay. But how can you think of such a thing, after what the General said, when he so particularly desired you not to give yourself any trouble, because anything would do?" Henry only smiled. "'I am sure it is quite unnecessary upon your sister's account and mine. You must know it to be so, and the General made such a point of your providing nothing extraordinary. Besides, if he had not said half so much as he did, he is always such an excellent dinner at home that sitting down to a middling one for one day could not signify. I wish I could reason like you, for his sake and my own. Good-bye. As to-morrow is Sunday, Eleanor, I shall not return." He went. And it being at any time a much simpler operation to Catherine to doubt her own judgment than Henry's, she was very soon obliged to give him credit for being right, however disagreeable to her his going. But the inexplicability of the general's conduct dwelt much on her thoughts, that he was very particular in his eating. She had, by her own unassisted observation, already discovered. But why he should say one thing so positively, and mean another all the while, was most unaccountable. How were people at that rate to be understood? Who but Henry could have been aware of what his father was at? From Saturday to Wednesday, however, they were now to be without Henry. This was the sad finale of every reflection, and Captain Tilney's letter would certainly come in his absence, and Wednesday she was very sure would be wet. The past, present, and future were all equally in gloom. Her brother so unhappy, and her loss in Isabella so great, and Elinor's spirits always affected by Henry's absence. What was there to interest or amuse her? She was tired of the woods and the shrubberies, always so smooth and so dry, and the abbey in itself was no more to her now than any other house. The painful remembrance of the folly it had helped to nourish and perfect was the only emotion which could spring from a consideration of the building. What a revolution in her ideas! she who had so longed to be in an abbey. Now there was nothing so charming to her imagination as the unpretending comfort of a well-connected parsonage, something like Fullerton, but better. Fullerton had its faults, but Woodston probably had none. If Wednesday should ever come! It did come, and exactly when it might be reasonably looked for. It came, it was fine, and Catherine trod on air. 
By ten o'clock the chaise and four conveyed the two from the abbey, and after an agreeable drive of almost twenty miles, they entered Woodston, a large and populous village, in a situation not unpleasant. Catherine was ashamed to say how pretty she thought it, as the general seemed to think an apology necessary for the flatness of the country, and the size of the village, but in her heart she preferred it to any place she had ever been at, and looked with great admiration at every neat house above the rank of a cottage, and at all the little chandler's shops which they passed. At the further end of the village, and tolerably disengaged from the rest of it, stood the parsonage, a new-built substantial stone house, with its semicircular sweep and green gates, and as they drove up to the door, Henry, with the friends of his solitude, a large Newfoundland puppy and two or three terriers, was ready to receive and make much of them. Catherine's mind was too full, as she entered the house, for her either to observe or to say a great deal, and till called on by the general for her opinion of it, she had very little idea of the room in which she was sitting. Upon looking round it, then, she perceived in a moment that it was the most comfortable room in the world, but she was too guarded to say so, and the coldness of her praise disappointed him. "'We are not calling it a good house,' said he. "'We are not comparing it with Fullerton and Northanger. We are considering it as a mere parsonage, small and confined, we allow, but decent, perhaps, and habitable, and altogether not inferior to the generality. Or, in other words, I believe there are few country parsonages in England half so good.' It may admit of improvement, however, far be it from me to say otherwise, and anything in reason—a bow thrown out, perhaps—though between ourselves, if there is one thing more than another my aversion, it is a patched-on bow." Catherine did not hear enough of this speech to understand or be pained by it, and other subjects being studiously brought forward and supported by Henry, at the same time that a tray full of refreshments was introduced by his servant, the general was shortly restored to his complacency, and Catherine to all her usual ease of spirits. The room in question was of a commodious, well-proportioned size, and handsomely fitted up as a dining-parlour, and on their quitting it to walk round the grounds, she was shown, first into a smaller apartment, belonging peculiarly to the master of the house, and made unusually tidy on the occasion, and afterwards into what was to be the drawing-room, with the appearance of which, though unfurnished, Catherine was delighted enough even to satisfy the general. It was a prettily shaped room, the windows reaching to the ground and the view from them pleasant, though only over green meadows, and she expressed her admiration at the moment with all the honest simplicity with which she felt it. Oh. Why do not you fit up this room, Mr. Tilney? What a pity not to have it fitted up! It is the prettiest room that ever I saw. It is the prettiest room in the world." "'I trust,' said the General, with a most satisfied smile, "'that it will be very speedily furnished. It waits only for a lady's taste.' "'Well, if it was my house, I should never sit anywhere else. Oh, what a sweet little cottage there is among the trees! Apple-trees, too! It is the prettiest cottage.' "'You like it?' You approve it as an object. It is enough. Henry, remember that Robinson has spoken to about it. The cottage remains." Such a compliment recalled all Catherine's consciousness, and silenced her directly, and though pointedly applied to by the general for her choice of the prevailing colour of the paper and hangings, nothing like an opinion on the subject could be drawn from her. The influence of fresh objects and fresh air, however, was of great use in dissipating these embarrassing associations and having reached the ornamental part of the premises, consisting of a walk round two sides of a meadow, on which Henry's genius had begun to act about half a year ago, she was sufficiently recovered to think it prettier than any pleasure-ground she had ever been in before, though there was not a shrub in it higher than the green bench in the corner. A saunter into other meadows, and through part of the village, with a visit to the stables to examine some improvements, and a charming game of play with a litter of puppies just able to roll about, brought them to four o'clock, when Catherine scarcely thought it could be three. 
At four they were to dine, and at six to set off on their return. Never had any day passed so quickly. She could not but observe that the abundance of the dinner did not seem to create the smallest astonishment in the general. Nay, that he was even looking at the side-table for cold meat which was not there. His son and daughter's observations were of a different kind. They had seldom seen him eat so heartily at any table but his own, and never before known him so little disconcerted by the melted butters being oiled. At six o'clock, the general having taken his coffee, the carriage again received them, and so gratifying had been the tenor of his conduct throughout the whole visit, so well assured was her mind on the subject of his expectations, that, could she have felt equally confident of the wishes of his son, Catherine would have quitted Woodston with little anxiety as to the how or the when she might return to it. End of chapter 26